are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Now we're to stand for something. Stand for the truth. Stand for the Bible. And my dear soul, here's the body of truth. If I don't know the truth about heaven, I don't go to the public library. I go to the Bible. If I don't know the truth about uh, the grave, I don't go to the public library. I go to the Bible. When I want to know the truth about faith, I go to the Bible. When I want to know the way to get to heaven, I go to the Bible. When I want to know how to die, I find it in the Bible. The public library can't help me. And man's philosophy is not able to help me in those matters. Here is the body of truth. And let every man be a liar and God's word be true about himself. Now that statement is that's a Bible quotation. If that statement is true, then it's worth standing for. It's worth preaching. It's worth defending. We're to set ourselves in the defense of the faith. Well, I don't want to fight. I don't want to argue. I don't want to, I don't want to have any trouble. Well, now you are just a, a weakling. You fail the Lord. You fail uh, the church. You fail the Bible. You failed our fathers who blazed a trail before you and I came along. They stood. Are we to do less? They were counted for godliness. Am I expected, and can I expect to do less than they? Not at all. If the Bible was contended for a hundred years ago, it's still worth contending for. So we need to say it. If it requires a fight, I don't, I don't think we'll make a fight. I don't think we'll stir up a fight. In fact, I think we'll try to be at peace with all men as much as possible. The Bible commands that. And I want that in my life. I want peace in this sojourn as much as possible. But when you begin to pin knife the Bible and destroy the Bible and destroy the church, you're rubbing my fur the wrong way. And I, I can't take that. I can't take that. I, I'm, I'm set in the defense of the gospel and in the defense of the Bible. And I want you to do the same thing. Now in my text there are seven things that uh, are spelled out that I'm to take on that would enable me to stand for the faith and stand for the church and stand for the Bible. I'd like you to look at them in your Bible. Then I'd like for you to mark them. Just take a pencil and mark in the margin of your Bible these seven things. Look at verse 10. Finally, brethren, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Now, if there's no contest, why be strong? If there's no trial, why be strong? If being a Christian is a flower, a bed of ease, and a Sunday school picnic, then why that injunction? If there's no battles to fight, why the necessity to be strong? You see, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Paul would not exhort to be strong unless he knew we needed that strength. And we do need that strength. Finally, my brethren, be strong uh, in the Lord and in the power of his might because you're going to need it. You need ample reserve. You need to be equipped for the battle at the drop of a hat. You need to be equipped. 
And so he said, be strong in the Lord and the power is might. And in order to be strong in the Lord, in verse number 11, put on the whole armor of God. Now that's a total misnomer. And it's completely absurd if there is no fight. Uh, there's a, I, I saw a man, uh, and I won't say where, but he, he walks around dressed in all kind of paraphernalia. I think some of it is, uh, maybe religious garbs he has on, but I don't know the nature of his garments that he wears. I would imagine some of it might be military. Well, what would you think about a man that uh, went down to the uh, uh, clothing store instead of buying a suit of clothes that you have, like you have on, I have on? He'd say to the man, I want you to give me a a major's outfit. But you say, no, I don't serve in the army. I just want a major's outfit. I want the ribbons and I want the badges and the buttons and the color and everything. I want an army outfit of a major. Well, I don't know where you can buy it or not. I guess you could if you went to a salvage place. You might be able to buy even a major's uh, outfit. But if you put on that outfit and walked around the streets of Greenville, uh, you'd be able to put us a nut. Because there's no battle. There's no war. There's no gun shooting. There's no approaching enemy. We saw David in our century lesson a while ago uh, leaving fleeing from the army of Absalom. And, uh, but we don't have anything like that now. And no need me to put on a major's uniform. I don't even wear clergy garb, let alone army garb. I've been preaching 50 years, but I've never turned my collar around my life. I button my collar in the front. And I wear a necktie, and I've got one today, haven't I? I'm telling you, somebody said your throat's cut, preacher. But uh, I don't wear I don't wear clergy garb. I'm not about to wear an army garb, for I think you're nutty. But in verse 11, God said, "Put on the whole armor of the Lord." Evidently, God saw we going to fight a little bit, and down the pathway there's going to be a little fight here and there, maybe a big one, but it's bound to be some conflict because we are, in the eyes of the world, maladjusted, adjusted. We're not lined up. We're not regimented. We believers are, uh, are sore of thumb. We believers just don't fit in the world. And we cross with people. A fundamentalist just doesn't fit in the religious world either. He crosses with people. And when you begin to cross with people, you're apt to have somebody hit you. Verbally, or literally one or the other. And you wind up with a bloody nose, so to speak, and a black eye. And the only crime you've committed is living your religion out in the street. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to be quiet about it and don't cause any conflict. Don't rob the boat. Uh, live a positive life and uh, uh, witness my lifestyle evangelism. You don't confront anybody. Just live the lifestyle. Well, even that will get you in trouble. Uh, there's a conflict down the road and God knows it and you better learn it and so God said put on the whole honor of the Lord now what's the motive a dress parade no we believers don't put on a dress parade the army sometimes when they're preparing for conflict might have a dress parade but uh, if I put on the armor and try to have a one man parade they may carry me to Columbia 
sour. You didn't say it was sour. Alright, don't do that. But I have to put on the whole armor of the Lord. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now what are the wiles of the devil? What does the word wiles mean? It's not wild, but wiles. What are the wiles of the devil? The wiles of the devil is Paul's way of talking about the subtlety of the devil, the uh, the uh, deceivableness of the devil, the beguiling attitude of the devil. You remember uh, Paul said Eve was beguiled, and that's the wiles of the devil. The devil's ability to deceive. The devil is a deceiver. The devil is a liar. And every day he lives, he's lying to people, and he's deceiving people, and beguiling people. He's more subtile than any beast of the field which the Lord God made, the devil. And that's the wiles of the devil. The devil is a counterfeiter. He camouflages. You never see the devil as he actually is. The devil is uh, maybe a dumbbell about some things. But he's wise enough not to let you know that he's a dumbbell. He wants you to believe that he's wiser than he actually is. So he camouflages himself in order to deceive you and uh, beguile you as he did Eve in the Garden of Eden. And that's what the wiles of the devil means. Now I'm exhorted to put on the whole honor of God that I might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, I don't fight the devil literally and personally. I believe in a personal devil, by the way. And so religious circles, that's absurd. But I think the Bible clearly teaches that there is a literal devil. His name is Lucifer. One time an archangel of God. But he's a fallen archangel. He's now the devil, the old dragon from the bottomless pit. The devil. And he's real. And I don't fight the devil. Personally, but I fight the devil's influences, the devil's people, the devil's strategy. Oh, I may fight the devil more personally than I imagine, but I've never seen the devil. I, uh, I read a story one time that, uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, had such an encounter with the devil until he picked up an ink well off his desk and threw it to what he thought was the devil. Well, I've never had that kind of experience. I felt the presence of the devil a few times in my life, but I've never seen the devil. But I've seen the result of the devil many times in my life. I've seen the works of the devil many times, and I've fought those many times in my life, and I'm exhorted to put on the whole arm of God that I may be able to stand against. Not negative, not passive, but to stand against the wiles the subtlety of the devil. To expose the devil for all that he actually is. Now what is involved in the whole armor of God? I'll read that uh, further down. But let me read verse number 12. For the rest are not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rules of the darkness of this world, against uh, spiritual weakness in high places. A spiritual conflict that is, and without the whole armor of God, you'll never be able to gain the victory over the wiles of the devil, as described in verse number 12. But in verse 13, here's the honor. 
Therefore, the Bible says wherefore, but the word therefore and wherefore are almost identical. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Well, he's already said that in verse number uh, 11. Take unto yourself the whole armor of God. Now, Paul would not have given that command had it not been possible for me to take to myself the whole armor of God. Now, I think when you take on the whole armor of God, you don't dress yourself out like David tried to dress himself out with the armor of King Saul in the valley of Elah. Saul began to give his armor piece by piece to David about to fight the giant Goliath. And the more David tried to put on Saul's armor, the more impossible he saw. He'd never be able to fight the giant with Saul's armor. So he took it off and started giving it back to Saul. That's not the kind of armor we put on. But we put on a spiritual armor with which we can fight a spiritual battle with the uh, powers and the principalities and the spiritual darkness and against spiritual wickedness in high places in verse number, number 12. We put on the spiritual armor. And without that spiritual armor, there's no way that you can wage conflict or stand against the devil. We need the armor. Now, Paul doesn't leave us guessing about what is involved in that armor, but he spells it out, one, two, three, right through seven things that he spells out in these verses that I'm to take unto myself. Verse number 13. Take unto you the whole arm of God, which says it's accessible. Take it. God has provided it. Use it. You need it. Use it. It's available. It's accessible. Reach out and take these pieces one by one under yourself in your battle against uh, uh, the devil, against uh, the world, against the flesh, and against some people that will destroy our church and destroy our Bible and destroy our faith. If anything in the world agitates me, it's a liberal attempting to destroy the faith of young people. And I've seen that happen. I was with a pastor the other day, and he carried me by a college in his town, not a Baptist college, another denomination. But he said every year they have a, they have a Bible conference at the school. I said, well that sounds good. Oh, but he said, uh, the other year, they had a man lecturing on Genesis. And he told the people that the first 11 chapters of Genesis was fictitious and tradition and legend. Which is to say, there was never a Noah, there was never an Adam, there was never a lady named Eve, never a man named Seth and Cain and Abel. Well, now that's the kind of thing they teach in religious institutions. A so-called Christian college that was being taught to young people, 18, 19, 20 year old young college children. I detest that. That's as wicked and as wrong as anything can be. If that man believes that, why would he come to my study and sit down and talk to me about that? Why would he take the advantage of an 18 year old child, girl or boy, and feed it to their young minds? Uh, let him come and talk with me about that. Let him go out here to Bob Jones and get on Bob Jones, didn't you? Well, that'd be something to see, wouldn't it? <laughs> Dr. Green was alive. Let him come talk to Dr. Green. Green would nail his hide to the barnyard door so as he was born. Usually men that believe that kind of foolishness are cowards. 
and they find a bunch of youngsters in their freshman class and they set out to destroy their faith. That's it. That's just like the devil. A coward. So we'll take the armor that's available. Take it to you, uh, on you, because you're going to need it. Now let me mark these seven pieces that I'm to take to myself. In verse number 13, I take the whole armor of God to me, you'll stand. And then in verse 14, stand therefore, uh, uh, having your loins dirt about with truth. Having your loins dirt about with truth. Your loins are your, your body. And you, you girt your body with truth. The police sometimes when they go in dangerous places wear bullet proof garments. For fear it might, a bullet might penetrate their body, uh, where the vital organs are and destroy their life. And to put on the whole armor and part of that armor is to have my loins girt about with truth. And what is truth? Here it is. The psalmist said, hide the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against the Lord. Store it in your mind. Put it in your mind. And when the battle comes up, it's amazing how God can bring those things to your mind that you've had stored down here for a long time. He brings it right out. And you can use that against the devil. And there's nothing that will defeat the devil quicker than to shoot back the word of God to it. So I will take on the armor of truth. I'm going to learn the Bible, study the Bible. We stand the devil in the strength and truth of God's holy word. Then number two, I'm to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, that's up here, that part of your body. That would involve your heart. That would protect your vital organs showing up. Uh, many vital organs in your, in your body, but the most vital would be the heart. But I'm on the breastplate of, uh, of, uh, righteousness to protect that vital organ. And you put on righteousness, godliness, holiness, cleanliness, obedience, loyalty, devotion to God, loyal to His church. You put that on. The fiery darts of the devil can't penetrate that breastplate. And you have the victory to a great degree when you put on the armor of righteousness around your breast. Now that may sound a bit trite to some of you. You'd rather pick up a sword and in your strength wade into the devil with a sword. Well, that that's a human way. And, and I don't condemn you for feeling that way because I feel that way sometimes. But that isn't God's way. The Lord has given us a Bible. He has not given us a sword. Amen. I have no sword. I have no gun. I don't fight with weapons of warfare. Carnal. My weapons are spiritual. And when God saved me, uh, He didn't give me a gun or a sword. When God saved me, I didn't learn karate. Don't plan to start. Wouldn't I be a pretty mess trying to learn karate? So you would too. But you don't need that. You don't need that. You have the breastplate of righteousness. And that's more valuable than a gun. And when you shoot the devil with righteousness and godliness, and when he sees that you're a godly righteous man, you'll gain the victory with that righteousness. 
for pulling the breastplate of righteousness. The number three, in verse number 15, your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Oh, Brother Joe Parsons used to talk about that a great deal, and you haven't talked now about your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When we were just school children, Sunday school children, way back in the primary beginners, they used to say, little feet, you lead me where I ought to go. You don't let me go where I ought not to go. And so we, we big uh, grown believers in our day ought to have our feet uh, shod, covered with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Everywhere we go, our conversation ought to be yea and nay, except it involves the gospel. Everywhere we go, we'll talk about the gospel, talk about the Bible, talk about Jesus. Amen. And my feet are leading me here and there to be a witness, a verbal, audible witness about how to be saved and the fact that we are. You, you shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The reason some people get defeated, they allow their feet to carry them to their own place. And if you're in a place where you can't talk about the Lord and you can't witness for the Lord, you're in the wrong place. Amen. And you can't gain the victory except you shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Then number four, it says in verse 15, uh, take the shield of faith, the shield of faith, wherewith is to be able to quench all the fiery darts of salvation, the shield of faith, faith, now by the faith, hope, charity, shield of faith. If you have faith in God, faith in the Bible, you can quench a million fiery dart by faith, that believe in God. And those fire darts uh, glance off. They don't penetrate. They don't get to you because you have a shield of faith. And you say, I'm going to fight you back and use this shield to ward off all the fiery darts of the devil. I, I When I read that terminology of fiery darts, I think about an arrow. I think about a bow. But I think also about a, an arrow burning. And I imagine that'd be the worst kind of an arrow to shield off, a fire off. And an arrow that would destroy your house and you quicker than any other would be a fiery dart. It's more than just a dart. It's burning. It'll destroy you in a moment. But with that shield of faith, no trouble. That shield of faith will ward off all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And we need that. In the old days, no man ever went into the field of battle without a sword on his side and a shield in his hand. And with a sword, uh, that's his offensive weapon. The shield is his defensive weapon. And so he had a weapon both against the enemy in, in both ways, offensively and defensively. And the shield is that defensive weapon, the shield of faith. If you have faith in God, the victory is yours by that faith, the shield of faith. And then in verse number 17, take the helmet of salvation. Now the helmet covers your head, another vital part of your body, the head. Thou shalt keep him in perfect, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon Jesus. When I look at a computer, 
I think about a human mind. Down through the years, I put a lot of things in my computer. And you put many things in your computer. Sometimes it's a blessed thing uh, to call it up on the screen and uh, reminisce a bit. I had a joy of preaching this week over at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Wilson, North Carolina, a church I had begin in 1954, 35 years ago almost. Started the two-story frame building on Tarbury Street. Humble handful of people. But some of my dear friends became involved in that church. Today they have a beautiful million dollar church. Beautiful church. And a congregation of about 300 people. A wonderful church there in Wilson. And I preached there. And in the pulpit, my mind went back. I was 30 years with the Bright Spot Hour on the radio station in Wilson, North Carolina. 30 years. The station was sold in 1979 and I don't have that outlet. But I enjoyed that door for 30 years. I had a dozen people who come to me and say, Preacher, my mom and my daddy used to hear you when I was a boy or when I was a girl. One man came and said, My mother used to hear you when she worked in the, in the, in the back of barn. And she was saved one day. Listen, you preacher, where are you? I, my mind thought, I thought about Ed Whitley. He, he gave us that, that, uh, range over here in the home, Brother Sims. Gas range. He was in the, uh, gas business and, uh, gas appliance business and he loaded that range up and hauled it to Greenville, put it together and installed it for us. And we're still using that same range. I thought about it with their dear friend. He's with the Lord today. And, uh, my mind is a great computer. And yours is a great computer. When you put something in your mind, God lets you bring it back and you can almost relive it in, in memory. A wonderful thing. You talk about a memory bank. You have a member bank in your mind. And the more good things you put in that mind of yours, the better off you're able to fight the devil. Good experiences, bad experiences, bad words and bad attitudes and wicked thoughts and ungodliness in your mind will cloud that screen up and it won't be much of a help to you. But when you feed godliness, and especially when you feed into your computer this precious book. Amen. You're storing up in that computer things that will help you when you fight the devil in your sojourn. So we got it to take the helmet of salvation. And then number, number six, the sword of the spirit. Now I have a shield, I have a helmet, I have a breastplate, I have my orange gut about, and I have a sword now, a sword in my hand. I have the shield already, now he gives me the sword. And the sword that he gives me to fight the devil, whether in human form or in spirit form, is the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. I marvel at how the word of God can cut. Hebrews calls it a double-edged sword. It cuts going and coming. Big men get cut down. Hard men get cut down. Big women get cut down. Indifferent people get cut down. Sinners get cut down. Some that you think would never get converted, God can cut them down to a child in attitude. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, use it, believe it, use it every day to live. And then there's one other. In verse 18, he said, Praying always, with all prayer and supplication, and while you pray, watch. 
white employee, white employee, the capstone white employee. This this building was built in 1957. Brother Sparks built it. We're all proud and happy about it. But he found it in just all of this. The steeple is a capstone, so to speak. And there was a day when he built the uh, steeple on the ground in front of the church. And brought a great crane out. And after the roof was finished, he put the capstone on the building. Down through the years, folks looked over the highway and looked at the steeple. Rises up about 56 feet above the ground at Tabernacle. Beautiful white steeple. And that's the capstone. Now, in my faith and in my battle with the devil and with the world, my capstone is prayer and watching. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Prayer and watching is my capstone. And the fact is, my seal will do me no good. My sword becomes ineffective. And the other weapons I have may not do the job without watching and prayer. Watching and pray. Watching and pray. And when you watch for the devil, learn his devices. Learn how deceiving he is. And when you run into the devil, whether in human form or in some other form, then prayer, prayer, just the thing. Watching and prayer. Watching and prayer. That's the capstone of our battle with the devil. So, we're exhorted in Ephesians 6 to stand. It may not be pleasant. You may much rather have a picnic. But there are times when you won't have to have a fight. Don't you dip your colors. You stand up for the church. You stand up for the Bible. You stand up for Jesus. And if somebody doesn't like what you believe, that's their fault, not yours. Don't you diminish your colors. Don't you back up one inch. Lord, I believe. And I'm not going to back up one inch in relation to my Savior. Having done all, stand. God bless you, everyone. May we stand with our heads bowed in prayer. Our Father, I pray that my text may be received by the people today. And it's important that we stand for the Bible, that we stand for the church, we stand for Jesus, we stand for the gospel. And there's some about that would diminish all these ancient landmarks that we count to be very precious. But don't let us compromise it down like a one bit, but whole higher bloodstained banner of a crucified Savior, like a mighty army, marching to battle, have us to march into the thick of battle, armed with this armor that we read about in Ephesians 6, I pray. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.